Hi, good morning. I hope you are having a good weekend. Good weekend. Are you feeling pretty happy? Pretty happy with the weekend? Uh. All right, all right. I'm less than convinced. You know, the Bible talks about what it is to be happy and how we uh, achieve happiness and you know, we all pursue that, right? We spend a lot of time thinking about our own personal happiness and how can I be happier and, you know, what, what does that even mean? Usually when the Bible mentions the word happiness, it's not referring to, wow, I'm getting everybody to do what I want to do. You know, we're going to eat at my restaurant. Uh, we're going to go where I wanted to go on vacation. We're going to sit, we're going to watch the program on television that I like to watch, you know, and so I'm happy. And that's typically kind of what we think, you know, when things kind of go in my way. But it's not that. It's not just the giddiness of, of getting your way, having your preferences uh, all the time. When the Bible talks about happiness, typically, usually, it, it, it's talking about a happiness that's not based on your circumstances. It's not about what's happening at the moment. It's really based on knowing who you are in Christ, that's what happiness is about. Some people prefer to use the word joy to make that distinction because it's not exactly the same thing. You're trying to communicate what that is. So they'll use a whole different phrase. Paul did that a lot. He used that word over and over all throughout uh, the letters that he wrote, and particularly in the book uh, of Philippians. Paul used that uh, phrase uh, repeatedly. And we're going to focus on just one little section of that today in Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to find that joy or happiness really comes from taking a road uh, less traveled by a lot of people. And I'll just go ahead and kind of do the spoiler and tell you what that road is. That road is serving other people. Most of the time, we buy into the idea that happiness is achieved when, um, when we're catered to, when we're pampered. Oh, I'm just so happy that, that I'm here. I'm just so happy that it worked out, or I got that, or I got this. And, and, and that kind of happens. But when it does happen, check this out. If this is not true for you, because it has been for me uh, countless times, you get what it is you wanted, and then you realize, yeah, it's not exactly what I thought it would be. And you're kind of disappointed about it, and you thought, well, it doesn't live up to the advertising, or it's, it's just not, I don't know what I expected, but it's short-lived. You know, short, all the things and the stuff that you thought, oh, this will make me happy. If I could just get this, it'll make me happy. And then you get that, and you think, well, didn't do it. And by that time, what happens? We're focused on something else, right? There's something else that's come along. And, uh, and we're, we're, you know, moving along to the next thing. I'm terrible about this with, with technology. I'm not a real geeky kind of guy, and, and I don't try to stay up on the latest and greatest. I don't. I don't. But, you know, I, I've had this, I've, I've made a jump. I switched from BlackBerry to, and, and it's a you know, great product, but to, to iPhone. Absolutely love this thing. Man, I'm just crazy. I'm not doing an ad for them or anything. But you know what? I was so content and so happy with this until I found out this week they're going to release a new one this summer. Oh, baby. It's going to be so cool. It's going to make me happy if I can get it. You know, isn't that the way we think about stuff? 
And we think, oh, and that, I, I thought I was happy, but I didn't know about that car. I didn't know, I was content to go here until I found out about that place. And there's something that happens in us that's constantly disappointed. You know, in the same way, that's kind of a wide road that most of us travel. There's a more narrow road that we can go down that gives us just as big a surprise. When we serve other people, when we make a difference in other people's lives, person to person, person to person, there's something unexpected and special that happens in our life, in our heart, in who we are. And I'll be honest with you, it's an acquired taste. Okay? It's not a natural thing. That doesn't come naturally to me um, to, just to serve other people. I mean, there are times when uh, that thing in you, you know, that, that, that thing in me resists that idea and says, What? Are you serious? Forget about serving other people, taking care of other people. Who's going to take care of me? I need, I need to be taken care of. I have had this year um, just this incredibly difficult time with allergies, and I have not had that before. I've just not had. Now, my wife has had that for the 30-plus years I've known her. She's always had allergy trouble. And I pat her on the back, and I say, oh, That's so bad. I'm so sorry. You feel bad. And then I kind of cared. I did, but now I've got these allergies, and they're just driving me crazy, and nobody cares, and nobody will listen to me. You don't care? Because I tell people every day, everybody, anybody, yeah, I'll have the, uh, yeah, I'll have the hook and ladder number one with light mayo, and did you know I've got really bad allergies right now? I can't, you know, I just, you know, and... And the girl says, yeah, that'll be okay. Do you want chips with that? No. And I kind of wove that in so I could tell you, the whole room. (laughs) So like last night, Kathy said, you know what? I think maybe God let this happen to you, so now you'll be more sympathetic to me when I have them. (laughs) She spiritualizes everything. And I know God's like, Dan, I've just, I'm sorry, i got to do this. But you don't care. You're, you're such a barbarian. And I want, you to, I want you to be more sensitive to people around you. So, allergies. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that doesn't. But, you know, that's kind of the natural thing about us. That's the way we're wired. We care about our stuff and the way our things are going. And God wants to get, make something so much bigger and more beautiful happen in us, but you kind of got to get used to it. One night this week, we were in a, in a restaurant, and um, my son Aaron and his, his girlfriend Rachel were there, and at, at the end of the meal, we said, who wants coffee? And, and I said, I'll, I'll take some coffee. And, and anyway, she got coffee, and she just got black coffee. Now, my son gets coffee, too. And in his, he puts like six or eight tablespoons of sugar and then I think he put, uh, you know, several ounces of milk. And then he added some vanilla flavoring and some cherry. And then they put whipped cream. I mean, it wasn't coffee anymore. And so he's, he says, I love coffee. I, Dude, that's not coffee. <laughs> but I looked at Rachel's cup and she just had black coffee. I said, do you, because you don't see a lot of young people drink just black coffee. I said, do you, do you just like it that way? She goes, yeah. She said, but it's an acquired taste. 
yes, we are in the finer clubs thing. <laughs> you know, we, we drink our coffee black. We have acquired this taste, you know. I, he was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed for him. Um, <laughs> And some of you, you are not at that place yet because it's a gradual, you know, you kind of learn to drink something a certain way or to eat foods that you never liked. And, yeah, isn't it? and there are foods I eat now that I didn't eat when I was younger because I had to acquire a taste. And there was a time I think, I'll never eat that. I'll never drink coffee like that. And we made coffee. It was awful in my house. I grew up in a home. This is how underprivileged we were. My mother served out of these little square jars. I, I can't remember the name of it. I want to say it's called Sanka. But it was, it was instant coffee crystals. It was kind of a new age coffee. That, oh, and if you're drinking that, God bless you. But, oh, it was just, we would drink that and this other. And so I grew up thinking, I don't know, why in the world would anyone choose to drink that? Never drank it till I, I was an adult. Went to a little cafe, a little diner that we had on campus in seminary and began to drink Miss Polly's coffee. And I thought, now, what is this? That's coffee. And I began to like coffee. You see, I think it's going to be this way for those of you who never serve. You know, for you, church is a place to come and get your needs met, right? Well, I need the pastor to feed me because I'm still... Uh, I'm, that would be so bad. I just, you would be so mad at me for the rest of the week if I were to say, I'm not going to say it, but if I were to say, I've heard a rude pastor say this once. He said, you know, people who come and need to be fed, you know what the people who need to be fed are called? Babies. You feed yourself. You know? This is where we come. Or that church just didn't, you know, or, or some of you have been in a relationship. I can't tell you how many times I've had couples come in my office and say, well, what's going on? Well, he doesn't meet my needs anymore. What? Yeah, I married him to meet my needs. Oh, 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 did your mama tell you that? How many of you have gotten married to get your needs met and found out that worked pretty good? You know, I mean, it just doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen in any way, and you're not going to be happy. It's this acquired taste. It's like people who eat healthy food and like it. And I'm standing looking at the menu and I'm thinking, the grilled chicken salad or the cheeseburger with bacon? If they could put bacon on the salad, I might. It's an acquired taste. It's a habit you develop. But after you begin to do that, then you begin to prefer that. Something changes. See, some of us approach relationships that way. I'm going to be friends with this person because they made me happy. I'm going to marry that person. I'm going to date this one because, you know what? He makes me happy. That's relationship junk food. Okay, the truth is most of us are happy, and we get happy when we look at the long term, when we learn to give ourselves in service to others. Last year, I read a little book that just was revolutionary for me. I thought it was one of the best books. Just a little easy read. Um, it's not even really a Christian book, if you forgive me for that, but it's, it's called uh, It's All Too Much, How to Declutter Your Life by Peter Walsh. It's an amazing thing, and you begin to look around. He walks through all the reasons we collect stuff in our lives and that we have all this clutter in your garage, in your attic, in your basement, in every drawer in your house, 
in your closets. You know, I mean, is, are you under convictions? We just stop right now and give a gospel invitation. <laughs> I'm so cluttered. Your car, the trunk of your car. I love those SUVs that have the little rolling vinyl thing where you can just put it all back there and just cover it up, <laughs> you know. People can't look in and go, oh my goodness, did your house burn down and this is what you saved? Or <laughs> You got as much out as you could. It's just clutter. You know what I've learned? Some of us are happiness hoarders. Some of us are cluttered in our relationships. We just selfishly and and stubbornly cling to whatever it is and whoever it is we think is going to bring us joy. We refuse to let go. We refuse to give back. We just take and take and take, and we get and we get and we get, and we consume and we consume and never give back. And then we wonder, why am I not happy? I'm just not happy. Well, today, this is hopefully going to be a great experience for you as you figure out that the big question is not what's in it for me. Philippians 2 shows us a completely different path to happiness. Paul uses the word joy three times in this section of Scripture that we're going to read today, and each one offers a clue uh, about how you can experience real fullness, joy in your life. I'm going to warn you up front, it's not the instant gratification, it's not like pizza, ice cream uh, type of happiness that, that comes and goes pretty quickly. It's the type of happiness that stays with you over the long haul. It leads you into a more satisfying life on so many different levels. Now, when I was in grade school, I think, or high school, um, we read a poem by Robert Frost, and it's probably one that most of you are really pretty familiar with. Um, and, and one of the lines goes like this, Two roads diverged into a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. What I'm challenging you about today is that when you begin to consume less and to give more, when you expect to be served less and you want to serve more, it's going to make all the difference. It's going to make all the difference in, in, in your life. So well, let's do this. Over the, over the next little time that we've got here, let's unpack three ways from this passage that you can take a road less traveled, uh, a path that's going to lead you on a, on a happier life. Now, one of those paths that's less traveled to happiness is this, building up others. You're going to find an extraordinary, uh, unexpected joy, a happiness in building other people up. Paul said this in verse 2. He said, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Now, why would Paul use this phrase, make my joy complete? Hey, I need you guys to finish up my joy. I need you to bring my joy to, to, into a landing. Uh, what he's saying is, you know, I've been, I've been your pastor, I've been your teacher, I've been your spiritual leader, I've poured my life into you. And you know what? At the end of the day, nothing makes me happier than to know that you're doing well, that you're living the life that God called you to live. He said, I get a buzz out of that. That gives me a kick that nothing else uh, does. When you guys are living together in peace and in unity, 
uh, with purposefulness and in happiness. He said, I get a rush from that. He said, I'm just filled with joy because it indicates to me that your spiritual life is right on target. You know, that you're zoning in. And Paul's whole reason for ministry, his whole reason really for living, his whole life was all about building up other people. His goal, his purpose was to see people come to accept Christ. And he wasn't satisfied to just take that initial step. He said, I want you to become fully devoted disciples of Christ fully devoted followers of Jesus. He said, I want you to get there. And that's why he said in Galatians 4, in verse 19, he said, my dear children, and that's just a real affectionate term. John used that phrase a lot. And when you see a rough guy, um, a legalist, you know, like Paul, uh, he, he falls back on this affectionate way of speaking. He says, oh, my dear children, you're just like my little kids. Um, He says, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. He says, just like giving birth to a baby until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you. He said, oh, I just want to be with you so much. But he couldn't be because of where he was. Paul is saying, I struggled. I fought to bring you to the gospel in the first place. He said, I just, it was everything I was about so that you could be saved. And he said, now I'm struggling again. He said, it just feels like childbirth, like he knew, right? <laughs> uh, he said, but it's just like childbirth. I, I just want to help you mature in the faith. He said, some of you who come to church and, and you've, you've been saved, you're Christians, and you think, there, I'm there, you know, kind of check that box. That was one of my to-dos in life. I'm safe, I'm in, I'm going to go to heaven. He goes, oh my goodness, I don't want you to stop there. He said, you don't get it yet. That, that's, not, that's not it. He said, what's most important to Paul is helping other people and building them up and seeing them do well. He said, make my joy complete. Let's don't get this thing started and then abandon it. He said, be like-minded. And that really means, uh, literally it means one soul. See, thing, you can have differences of opinion, he said, but your souls are linked together. Your, your souls are one. He said, having this same love, it's the same place of love that it's, it was born from and it grows up out of. He said, have that same love and be one in your spirit, one in your purpose. There's not 50 agendas, Paul said to this church. He said, I don't want you got like 10 teams and they're all tugging against each other and oh, we want things to go this way and we want... He said, no, get it together. Come on, pull yourselves together and have one spirit, one love, one mind, one purpose. He said, that is beautiful to me. That's so beautiful. Hey, let me ask you a question, okay? How would you finish this sentence? Make my joy complete by... Come on, really? Honestly. What would make your joy complete? It would make my joy complete if somebody would surprise me and show up at my house this week and mulch my landscaping. Yeah, I'm going to be so happy with you. And after you get all cleaned up, and I think I'm going to give you a little hug. I mean, that would just make me happy. Is it a project? Is it, you know, if you would send me, you know how you see the numbers on the bottom of the screen? Call that number. Send this amount, and you're going to make us happy. Is it about that? Is it give me more recognition? If you could put my name out there on the marquee, if you could, you know, you can kind of do something and maybe name it after me, you know, call it something. Is it make my life easier? Oh, if you could just do this. I mean, what is it? What is it really that's going to make you joyful? What are you going to walk away going, yeah, 
yes, that's it. It's about me. I'll tell you what, it could be. It could be seeing those around you do well. Mm, that feels good. Seeing them live well, yeah. Seeing them grow in Jesus and experience in fullness of life, and you just walk away so blessed yourself. And the reason is because you know you played a little part in it. I don't get to do a lot of big things in people's lives, but I get to do little things in people's lives sometimes, and so do you. And when you influence the life of another person, there's something that happens in you. There's a gift that's given that never goes away. It's just there. I have been to the Navajo Indian Reservation in, in, in Arizona, the northeast little corner of Arizona. Uh, I added up 24 times over my years. That means like every other year, you know, that I've even been on the planet, you know, I've gone out to the reservation. And you think, why did you do that so much? Well, I just fell in love with those people, and I felt a calling. And I knew I couldn't do a lot, but that I could do a little bit. I could just do a little and those trips, and some of you, we took trips here at Calvary. I've done them with other churches, and, and we've done several here. You went out with me. We put the tents up. You know, we filled these big, you know, drums with water so we'd have water. And we slept on the ground and, you know, and just cooked on grills for a week and just did what we had to do to be able to minister to people. But then there is something eternal about that. There was something so sweet. And by the time the next opportunity would roll around, I couldn't wait to get back out there. Now, do I like sleeping on the tents in the desert? No. Do I like all of the other things that go along with that? Not particularly. But you know what? I would be looking forward to it because there's something that would happen there. And there was something that happens in all the other places where we've gone and the things we've done. We're taking a small team in a few weeks back to Haiti. Hopefully next spring, our vision is for everybody in this room to go. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's just Calvary. Let's just, let's just charter a plane and everybody go and see what we can do. See what a difference we can make in another place where we have friends and brothers and sisters. There's one little boy on the reservation. His name was Tiffany Long. I met him on my very first trip out. And he accepted Christ on the very last day. He's one of the most mischievous boys. Uh, he would get up. You know, there's all these little mountains. He would get up on this little plateau above where we were teaching, and he would kick and roll stones down at us, you know. And everybody's like, stop that, Tiffany, you know. And, and he would laugh and run on the other side where we couldn't see him. He'd disappear, would get started back in a Bible study. And he would come back over, and he would start throwing rocks back down. And we thought, that's not cool. By the end of the week, he accepted Christ. And it was so hard for me to drive away and leave. And he rode, you know, beside us in the van. I told somebody this sentimental story, but he said... This part's really dumb, and, and this will, um, some of you will remember this, but um, I, I drove this big rental van all week it's, it's in the tan. So he started calling me, and this is so cheesy, but Dan the Man in the Tan Van. Dan the Man in the Tan Van. I thought, that's kind of a long name, you know. <laughs> if you just want to call me Dan, that'll be good. Dan the Man in the Tan Van, you come back, you come back. And I promised him, I'll come back. So then I had to go back to Clagato, which is the name of this little village, this little area where he lived. Um, lived in a little trailer there, just, just bad conditions. You know, and I got to see him a few more times, but as, as years went on, we got separated, and, and I didn't get to see him. Well, a few years ago, I ran into a guy who picked that mission up from that church, and he continues to go back. He spends, 
you know, three to six months a year on the reservation in that area. It takes an RV out there. Just incredible, the, you know, things that they've done. He is still in contact with Tiffany, who is an adult now. Check it out. He's a pastor of five churches. Do you know, when, when I found that out, I just started crying. Now, when I got my new iPhone, I didn't cry. I kind of wanted to. <laughs> a little. I, maybe I got misty, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't cry. When I found out that Tiffany, this little rascal who was just so, you know, he's in people's tents and he's, you know, you think, that's my T-shirt. <laughs> he, st- he stole my T-shirt, you know. He's a pastor of five churches. Whoa. I want you to know that happiness. I want you to know what we're talking about. Another way that Paul talks about you finding happiness is through sacrificial living. I mean, how often do you really sacrifice? I mean, when you give, is it something you don't need anymore? It's when you got a little extra, you know, you think, I'll give that. Or do you sacrifice? Verse 17 uh, in, in Scripture says this. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul said, I just rejoice, if, even if it cost me. I'm like, and he, and he pulls this word picture. There was something done, even in pagan cultures, where they would take a glass of wine and they would kind of dedicate it, and it would show the, the bounty of their harvest and their fruits, and they would just pour it on the ground in honor of a deity. And Paul said, I just feel like that. My life's just being poured out, but you know what? I don't care. In fact, I like it. In fact, I rejoice. It just makes me happy. I just laugh about it sometimes, how my life's being poured out, because I'm willing to do this even, and here's the, here's the extent Paul was headed with this, he said, even I understand I could be martyred. And he eventually was. He said, I know they're probably going to kill me for this because I've just gotten so right-wing with it. You know, I've just gotten so radical and just keep living my life out of bounds. Um, I know they're, they're probably going to take my life for it, but that's okay. Paul's writing this, this letter to these guys from prison, and he doesn't know what's coming. He gets rumors, I think they're going to execute you. I think they're going to keep you here for a while. They're not going to let you go. He's like, that's okay, because I think through me being here, the gospel is, is being put out even more and more. He said, and that is so cool. That is, that is so great. See, Paul had two options. He could think about what my life might have been. You ever hear people in ministry, particularly pastors? Every pastor I know either would have been dead, I'd have been dead if it weren't for the, you know, I thought, I don't know if you'd really be dead. You're like 30 years old. You know, you lived in suburban Knoxville. I don't know. Maybe they'd be dead. And then the other guy says, if I hadn't gone into the ministry, I'd be so stinking rich right now. I gave up a gold mine to do this, you know. And you think, no, dude, you'd be about where you are, you know. You, you, I don't know. I don't, oh, yeah, I'd have been rich, you know. Paul didn't do that. He didn't play that game. He didn't think about what it could have been, what I could have had. Oh, if it wasn't for this, I, could have, I, could have, I wouldn't be sitting here in this prison, that's for sure. 
wondering every day when I'm going to get the word. Yeah, they've decided they're going to run you through with a sword. They're not going to crucify you because it's against the law to do that, and you're a Roman citizen. So we're either going to burn you to death live or we're going to, you know, run you through with a sword because that's pretty, pretty honorable. He could have had an easy life, nine to five, you know, a couple of kids, a chariot out there sitting in the garage. He just, he could have had things nice. But he didn't. You see, the other path, the other thing he could have had, he could have looked at his life in terms of eternity. He said, I can have a little bit now. I can make a little higher salary. I can, you know, relax a little bit. Or I can think about what I might accomplish with, with my life that would last forever. Two roads diverged into Paul's future. And he took the one less traveled by. And that's made all the difference. A couple of thousand years later, we're reading his counsel and advice and wisdom. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of influence on the future? Paul chose the right path. Some of you parents understand this because I don't think anybody sacrifices more and it gets noticed less than parents. There's so much you do behind the scenes uh, that your kids will never see until maybe they have, you know, I was an adult. I was probably 40 years old before I realized, oh, my dad did this. And I, I never even thought about it. I just thought that's what dads did. No, he did that for me. He did that so we could have food and clothes and, and did the best he could. So parents, hang in there. Payback's coming. It is. And children who abuse your parents, payback's coming. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. You're going to be called on to make sacrifices. This is going to cost you. And I don't want to be one of those guys that says, sign here. It's going to be great. And when you live for others, whoo, it's going to be so much fun. You're going to laugh all the time, and you're going to get stuff. We're going to give away ice cream cones and snow cones. It's going to be amazing. Now, I'm going to be up front. It's going to sac- you're going to have to sacrifice. There's times it's going to be money out of your pocket. Your vacation days. It's going to be your time in your work and relationships and your walk with the Lord. And you can respond to that in a couple of different ways. You can find bitterness in it. You ever found people who are mad? I went all the way over there. Well, I spent this extra money I had. And, you know, then there's just kind of this bitterness that comes up. Or you can find happiness in it. You can find joy. I'm going to encourage you to look at your life and look at the actions of your life and how that benefits others and take joy in it. Be ready to make some sacrifices and just know going in, it's going to cost me, but that's okay. I probably would have, you know, burned it up. I, I, I would have spent it on more stuff. There's one other way that, you know, Paul took this less traveled path, and it's a path that I think leads to happiness for us too. Find your happiness, find your joy in showing appreciation. Just stop and say thank you. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, there's something you can start doing today that's going to make a huge difference. And, and Paul continues this idea in chapter 2. He talks about one of his co-workers, a guy named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was probably an elder there in the uh, Philippian church. He had been sent to Paul. He was like the messenger boy. You know, he goes to Paul to deliver a financial gift. They had taken up a collection. So they sort of helped Paul out some. Uh, so we bring you this gift. We, you know, we took up an offering. Uh, but during the visit, uh, Epi got sick. 
And he got so ill that they thought he might die. And his, ter- his return was re- delayed. Finally, he was healed. He got well. And it's time for him to go back to the church at Philippi. And then Paul said this in verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epi said, you know what, looks like they're not going to do it, so I'm going to pick up the slack, I'm going to fill in the gap, and I'm going to serve. And I'm going to do that. And he said it almost killed him. You know, I was talking to a guy the other day, and he was a little bragging about our denomination. And I love being a part, uh, you know, I'm a Southern Baptist and have been for years. And, and, and I think we're on the right track in a lot of ways. But, you know, he said, we've got 5,000 missionaries on the field. Largest mission force the world has ever known. And he's just saying, oh, and I'm like, 5,000, dude, that is a lot of people. But, you know, I got out because my fancy phone has a calculator built in, so I just started doing the math on that. There are 45,000 churches in our denomination. So that means it took about 2,600 churches. Now, wait, am I saying that right? To send out one missionary. No, no, it's 290 churches. I exaggerate a little bit because it's more dramatic. That's a better stat. It took a million. No. 290 churches. 290. Now, let's say we send out four people from our church in a year to the four mission field. That means we just made up the slack for a thousand other churches who sent out zero. If they're, just for speaking purposes, 13 million of us in our denomination, that's the stat I was going to pull out earlier, then that means it's about one out of every 2,600. One out of every about 3,000 people say, I'll go, I'll do it. Does that make you feel kind of like Eh, not bragging so much anymore. You know, if you had a room full of 3,000 people and we said, we need somebody to go to Uganda, we need somebody to go to Haiti, we need somebody to go to China, and maybe one guy up in the top corner of the balcony says, I'll go. Okay, good, that's all we need. You know, when we show appreciation, when we get involved, Something powerful begins to happen. There's a guy I know who um, he's in another church, and he's pretty successful in his business. Loves the Lord. He's one of those jolly guys. You know, he's just you know everything's funny, everything's happy to him. And one of the things he'll do is he'll call somebody, maybe a pastor. You know, and say, hey, I got something I need, just, I need to check in with you, talk to you about. Can I, can I take you to lunch on Friday? It may take us a while, okay? Do you mind? No, that's, yeah, I go to lunch. So you go to lunch, nice restaurant. You know, and after lunch, he goes, oh, I've got an errand. 
I got to make a stop. Do you mind? Will you, will you just go with me? You don't hurry to get back? No, no, that's okay. That's cool. And he, and he pulls up to a men's store. And he goes in and he goes, oh, by the way, while I'm here, why don't you pick out a new suit and a shirt and a tie? And I'll just be browsing over here. He has done that again and again and again. You think, he just... So why do you, why do you, do, and he's not a really wealthy guy, he just, he says, I get, he said, what they don't know is there's nobody having more fun with it than me. He said, we go to lunch, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, you have no idea what's coming, you know. He said, we're in the car, and he said, and I tell my little thing about, oh, I got to make a stop, do you mind? And they're like, no, that's okay. And he said, sometimes they'll glance at their watch, and they're thinking, I got to get back. He said, I walk them in there and say, new suit. They don't look at their watch anymore. They're like, are you serious? He said, that is so much fun. So much fun. You know, he just wants to show appreciation. You know, our natural tendency is to think, well, if somebody bought me a gift, that would really make me happy too. That would make me happy. And it does for a while. But there's something about giving There's something about doing and going for others that makes a difference. I just want to read one more passage to you. It's uh, in this section, and it actually uh, became a well-known hymn in in the early church. It was sung, uh, sometimes they would just sing right out of Scripture, particularly out of the Old Testament and out of the Psalms. Uh, There was one minister who is actually one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, uh, I think about 40% of the people who signed uh, the, the Declaration of Independence had seminary degrees. Of course, we're not a Christian nation. We weren't founded on Christian principles, but isn't that odd that almost half of the guys had been to seminary? This guy wrote a song from every hymn. I mean, excuse me, a, a song from every psalm. That's a lot of songs. And I wonder what he did when he got to Psalm 119. Oh, he's going to play that song. No! (laughs) You know, you didn't want him to sing at your wedding or your funeral. You know, to honor my good friend, Billy, I'm going to sing Psalm 119. (laughs) No! You know, everybody's going, This is a song the early church sang. It's verses 5 through 11. And it goes like this. And I would like to just sing it to make it more meaningful. But because of all my allergy troubles, I can't. I can't. I can barely stand here and nobody cares. Here's the, here's the song. Have this mind in you, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, you know, how am I going to communicate God's love to these people? How am I going to make it known? How am I going to make this real? What way should I go? Maybe I should go as a king or as a ruler. Maybe as a military figure. Maybe just as a celebrity. That seems that even just that will get their attention if I'm just in a couple of movies or have a hit song. That's all it'll take. Jesus said, no, you know what? I'm going to go as a servant to the people that I love, to the people that I reign over, whose name they will one day all call Lord. I'm going to serve them. That's the way Jesus said you do it. And he proved it by doing it with his own life. You know, what I'd like for us to do to kind of wrap up today, to finish up, is something that's kind of on my heart for a couple of weeks. We've got so many areas of ministry in our church, and we try to stay focused. You know, we're not a church for everybody. We don't do everything that the next church is. Oh, they've got a pet ministry? We need a pet ministry. So we're going to, you know, I mean, all of you who are, you know, we just... We feel like God's got a calling on us and that there are specific things that he moves us to do and to be a part of. And we try to stay faithful to that and on task and on vision. But, you know, that, even that means we have a lot of different areas of ministry. We've got ministries we've been doing for years and years and years. And we've got some that are brand new, just breakout ministries. I think it's appropriate that we pray for those. We pray over those. And here's my strategy. And I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you my agenda. You know, kind of what's running in, in the back, the program that's behind the scenes. I know, because it works in my life, if you start praying for something, it's just going to be a little while before you get such a burden and a heart for it, you're going to want to actually be directly involved with that. Some of you are going to start praying about one of these ministries and praying for it and praying for it, and you're going to notice in a few weeks or a month or by this fall, you're going to think, yeah, I think I'd like to volunteer. I think I'd like to go over there on Saturday, or I think I'd like to be there Wednesday night and, and maybe help out with that. Now, I'm a little anxious because there's no way I can mention all the things we do. There's just so much. There's just so much. But let's take time just to pray over some of these, okay? I mean, there's English as a second language. There's, uh, and some of those folks are in this room. And they've got a heart. They're about to start their summer Bible study. We have people literally within the past week walk in off the street from another country and say, we saw the cars parked out front and wondered what you guys were doing. We said, oh, we're doing a Good Friday service. Why don't you come on in? <laughs> and they did. You know, that's, an, that's a powerful ministry. Maybe you want to pray over that ministry. One of our newest ministries is, is a class called Impact. And we're ministering to adults with special needs, some with learning disabilities, but they have shown courage in not only coming and saying, could you do a class for us? You know why they're named Impact? Because they said, we want to take the giftedness God's given us. We want to take abilities that we have, and we want to make an impact on our generation. I love that. And these guys are sitting right out front. You know, as a spinoff of that, Julie Sims came to me and said, Hey, Dan, I've been thinking and praying about that new class, and I've got an idea for another one. He said, I've got, I've got a heart for the families of children with special needs. You know, it's just not a lot of churches, not a lot of people ministering, some to the children, and some not even to those children. But the families feel so isolated. And they don't always get to go to church or to other events because they have a child 
You know, I know a young woman who's, she's about 20 years old, but she's eight years old, and she always will be. And the mother said, Dan, you just don't know what it's like when you look at your daughter and you know she will never progress beyond where she is. I'll never have the joy of seeing her grow and learn, and she's just always going to be just like this. And sometimes they feel so lonesome. So we're going to start a new ministry. We hope to launch it this fall. We're going to be ramping up this this summer and just praying for those folks. There are people in the worship team, and God has so blessed us with singers and musicians. But some of our, a couple of our best musicians and singers have found other opportunities in other cities, and, and they're going to be leaving us. And it just it breaks our hearts, but we're so excited for them and that God's expanded their borders. But that means there's going to be gaps, and you may have a gift. You know, I play bongos, and I've offered that to Kevin again and again. I don't know. There's got to be a niche for me, you know. Bongos for blessings. I just... (laughs) You could have something even better. Why don't you pray for this worship team? I always look forward to night of worships. Oh, it's just this... Oh, I just love that. It just washes over my soul. College ministry is why we're here. You know, we could be at 10 other places in Knoxville, particularly West Knoxville, where, you know, a lot of churches, God bless them. I love those guys. They're doing some important things. People have moved there, and they've blossomed and grown. We had a consultant here. He said, you'd be two to four times your size if you hadn't stayed where you are. But we stayed here because God has called us to the University of Tennessee, to students, to faculty, and people that, you know, That's part of our vision. We have children. You know, Daniel mentioned right up front, and we've had some exciting new things with kids stuff and HD kids this year. We've had children saved. One as recently as last Sunday morning have received Christ through the ministry of this church. But it's a very heavy, volunteer-intensive kind of ministry. You know, they'll just burn people out using the same people again and again and again. They need people to pray over that. You know, from preschool to senior adults, youth ministry, extending our presence into the middle schools and high schools of, of, our, of our city and our community. There's so many things. There are roads less traveled, but God's calling us to it, and His call begins with prayer. So here's what we're going to do, and this is going to conclude our service. If you would like to join Calvary, and I know some of you have been attending for a while, but you hadn't really taken, taken that next step. We would just love for you to do that. I and mean, we already think you're family. I mean, it's just like you're already one of us. So let's just make it official. Let us adopt you. <laughs> and you get a ring, and you get a T-shirt, and a certificate. <laughs> you learn the secret Calvary handshake. I can't show it to you now. There's some non-members. No, we would love that. Just come see one of us after the service. That's, that's totally okay. But what the invitation is going to be like today, if you want to receive Jesus, we'd love for you to do that. We've got counselors here. But what we're going to do now is this. I'm going to ask people in those specific areas of ministries and other ministries that I've, I've just not included, let's gather and pray together. And you know what? My heart's kind of torn because there's several. I pray about all of these, but there's a couple of them specifically. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray with one for a little while, and then I'm going to run over real quickly and pray for another one, Okay? So uh, I'm just going to call you out. 
and, and we'll just get this thing started. And then Kevin's going to come, he's going to do a song, and he's going to close us out, and he's, he's going to pray out loud for us, and that's just going to wrap up the day. And, uh,